Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Yeah, to God be the glory. He is at work, church. He's answering your prayers. He sees all the investment that we're making as a church to raise the strongest generation. No greater joy than to see our kids choosing Jesus for themselves. By the way, if you've never been baptized, that act is not what makes you right before God. Uh, You believing that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose from the dead, asking him to forgive your sins, that's what saves you. And then you show that through the public act of baptism by saying, I'm on team Jesus. So if you've never done that for yourself, you can do that a week from today in all our services. We'll be having baptism. It'll be an awesome celebration. So uh, we're all pumped for that. Well, many of our kids started school this last week. And uh, it's always a fun week on social media because you get all these really cute posts of first day of school pictures. But I also found some funny ones. This one's kind of funny if you study it. It says, there are two types of kids on the first day of school. You have to look closely at the bottom left there. That was me on the first day of school when I was a kid, okay? I like this one too. This little boy's holding a sign next to his mom. It says, is it just me or did mom seem a little too happy about the first day of school? Hey, teachers, educators, we love you guys. We are so grateful that you not only keep our kids alive, but somehow discipline them and manage to teach them. Can we give a round of applause to the amazing, amazing educators in our community. Here's a related one, not directly about school, but for those of you who've got really young kids, if you can't read this, it says, once I became a parent, I finally understood the scene where Yoda gets so tired of answering Luke's questions that he just dies. (laughs) It gets better if you're in that season. It's a sweet season. Mine have kind of outgrown that season. Here's uh, my family over the summer. My youngest, Evie, is closest to the camera there. She's nine. So at age nine, they still ask questions, but not quite as um, voraciously as they do at age two or three. Uh, Most summers, we go in California. uh, We go to California in the month of July because we used to live there. Here's a picture of us at our favorite California restaurant, In-N-Out. I'm eating a double-double, super healthy meal there. We had an awesome month of July. Um, It's kind of become a tradition. I'll go back and speak at the church we used to serve at in California just for two weeks. And then we go to what's called family camp, which is, uh, it's like it sounds, it's camp for the parents and the kids. It's kind of like five days of church. And it is probably my favorite week of the year every year because it's a week where I get to sit where you guys sit and um, just receive, which is awesome. And for my family, that's really unique. In fact, there was one night at family camp where the screens kind of started having a problem and the sound wasn't working. And I sat there and I thought, I am not stressed out at all about this. (laughs) So that (laughs) was awesome. And can we give it up to Pastor Ron for teaching us experiencing God through the summer? Just phenomenal series, great teaching. I want to talk to you today about this reality that there's hope for you. Now, depending on what you carried in here today, that sentence might seem kind of flippant, or that sentence might kind of hit you between the eyes. In fact, it might hit you so much between the eyes that you think, John, if you knew what's actually going on in my life, you wouldn't say there's hope for me. God brought me here today to tell you that there is hope for you. And um, my prayer is that you'll open your heart to the creator of the universe, no matter how hopeless you might feel about anything going on in your life right now, there is hope, and we're going to learn about it today. 
First, I want to tell you a true story about a guy named Roy Sullivan. Here's a picture of him. Roy is a person who, as life progressed, started to feel more and more hopeless. It's one of those really odd stories. Roy Sullivan held, well, still holds, the Guinness Book of World Records record for being struck by lightning more times than anyone else and surviving. Isn't that crazy? Now, if you, I have a little bit of a morbid sense of humor. I know that's not a good fit for a pastor, but <laughs> I'm going to read these facts about Roy's life, and forgive me if I chuckle a little bit. If you also have a morbid sense of humor, you're welcome to laugh along, and I won't judge you. So, you know, Roy developed the nickname. He, he got struck by lightning and survived every time, seven times, and developed the nickname, quote, human lightning conductor. And, quote, human lightning rod. Uh, His career was part of the problem. He was an American park ranger in Shenandoah National Park between 1942 and 1977. So he's out there in the storms on these, you know, granite face mountains. Probably not a great combination if you're trying to avoid lightning strikes. Here's a picture of Roy. You can see his hat there after one of the lightning strikes. And forgive me, this is the part I have to chuckle a little bit. His biography, it says this. He was said to have been avoided by people during the later years of his life. (laughs) Owing to fears of being struck by lightning. (laughs) He once recalled, quote, For instance, I was walking with the chief ranger one day when lightning struck way off in the distance. And the chief said, see you later. (laughs) Sorry. That's just funny. That is funny. Sadly, though, as his kind of fame and reputation for getting struck by lightning grew, he actually did kind of fall into a depression and became very hopeless. There was just this sense that he had that the universe was out to get him. Can you blame him for feeling that way? I want to ask you, have, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like the universe is just against you? Maybe something happened Uh, something like getting struck by lightning, and you thought, afterwards you get through it, and you think, I cannot believe I survived that. I cannot imagine ever going through that again. And then a few years later, it does happen again. Do you know what it's like to feel hopeless? Most of us do in some situation in our life, and I'm telling you today, through the power of Jesus, there's hope for you. I'm speaking specifically today to those of you who just feel completely hopeless in some area of your life. Uh, Two stories here in our church family from this last week. One, a guy in his 70s who uh, had a great career, worked incredibly hard, faithful to his wife, raised amazing kids, did everything right. And now he's in that season of life where he's worked so hard to save and prepare And a health crisis has struck him out of the blue. And it has struck him down so severely that it affects not only his body, but his emotions. And he's in a place where he just feels like, how could this be happening to me? And it feels hopeless. Another story from our church family, this one, a happy one. A couple who about a year and a half ago walked in here on a Sunday like this, and they were without hope. Their marriage was hopeless in their eyes. The husband was dealing with PTSD and anxiety. Next week, we're going to tell you their whole story. But their story continued that week after week, they kept seeking Jesus here. And in him, they have found hope. I don't know if you relate to any of that. But here's what I'm passionate about today. I am passionate about the reality that no matter how hopeless your situation feels... And I know when you're in it, it can just, it can just, hopelessness can be overwhelming, it can feel like the end of the world. I'm telling you today, no matter how hopeless your situation feels, there is a way forward with God. Don't give up. All things are possible in God. And if you will join us here each weekend in August, if you will make it a way of life just for this one month to say, God, I'm looking to you for hope. Be my hope. I'm telling you, if you will look to God consistently, someday you will look back on what you're going through right now, and you'll be amazed how God carried you through 
what seemed impossible. God's done this for me in many seasons of my life. In fact, this very week, five years ago, this very week, I was in a hopeless health crisis. Uh, I had just moved here about seven months earlier with my family from California. Things were going well with the church. And it was the, the days leading up to this Sunday, which is always our big August launch. And I took my family out to ice cream. We were kind of celebrating the end of the summer. And as we were out for ice cream, I started to get really dizzy. So I sat on a bench and then even sitting down, it's not just that the world was spinning, my head would just fall to the right. And my eyes were like twitching all around in all these weird ways. And so you start to think like, is this a brain tumor? What is this? Went and saw the leading specialist here in Indiana for balance, which is called the vestibular part of your brain. And he put these goggles on me. And then they spun me around in a chair. I had to be driven there. I was literally crawling around the house. I couldn't stand up. It's miserable. And uh, he put these goggles on. He said, based on your eye movements, these goggles will track your eyes and it'll be able to tell us uh, if you have one of three things. A brain tumor, normal boring vertigo that we can fix pretty easily, or this weird thing called vestibular neuritis which is way worse than normal vertigo, but it's also better than a brain tumor. So they spin me around in the chair and the diagnosis comes back, vestibular neuritis. What is that? Well, they don't know for sure. They think it's a viral infection. It's something that attacks the nerve that connects your ear to your brain, whether your own immune system or something else. And as a consequence, you get all these weird symptoms. Mostly your eyes can't focus and, and you get real tipsy. I remember asking the doctor, when will this heal? And he said, John, it doesn't heal technically. That nerve will never really heal, but if you do enough physical therapy and enough exercise, your brain will create some new neural pathways. He said, you know, based on our study, uh, they did a whole bunch of stuff on my head, you're down to about 30% of your balance, but if you'll be faithful and exercise, et cetera, um, you'll be able to walk again. And by a year from now, you'll probably be 70 or 80% back. No one will even know the difference and you'll be able to function again. And so that's what I did. I mean, that year, in addition to everything going on here, um, I worked out three days a week doing these specific squats and lunges and all sorts of coordinated movements. Um, did all sorts of physical therapy. And, and sure enough, after a few months, I could function normal again. And after about a year, other than when I wake up in the dark, I'm pretty stable. So, you know, that was, uh, that was five years ago. I remember five years ago, the first day that Mel drove me to the office. Uh, it was about two and a half weeks in. She drove me here. My team helped me up the stairs to my office. And I got to my table and I sat down and I just cried because, and I'm not like a crier. I'm not like a Hallmark crier, but I was just so powerless. You know, as a kid who grew up riding my BMX bike, a guy who's a car guy, I always love to take walks and process to not be able to, to move and then to have the mental fatigue of when the eyes try to focus, it just takes a lot more energy. I remember sitting there just, just weeping for a little bit. Some of my team came around me and prayed for me and, and God got me through that. Uh, in, in fact, I learned a lot about placing my hope in God during that time. And that's one of a handful of medical things I've been through in my life. So that same doctor who said, it doesn't technically heal, but your brain will make new pathways. I asked him, because I said, hey, when I was little, I had this weird thing called Kawasaki disease. I have these weird hemiplegic stroke-like episodes. Like, you know, whatever the odds are low that it'll happen tends to happen to me. So what are the chances that this will happen again after I do all the, the therapy and rehab? He said, oh, John, don't worry. That would be about as likely as getting struck by lightning twice. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. So two and a half weeks ago, we get back from California. I'm all like recharged, refreshed. 
been sleeping, been eating, been studying, been planning out the next year for the church, more motivated than ever. Mel and I both wake up on Friday two weeks ago. We get in the car together to go to the gym together to work out. And I'm driving and I'm on the highway and I start going to the right. And I'm like, what is going on? And I realize like, I'm lightheaded and I pull over and my head just starts like dropping to the right again. Five years, almost to the day. Bizarre, just bizarre. And so, you know, that's how I've spent the last two weeks. Um, has been this weird emotional roller coaster of, okay, I've been through this before, we can do it, but why would this happen to me again? The doctor said it shouldn't happen again. Does that mean something worse is going on? You know, what, what's happening with my body? I say all that because I want you to know that when we talk about feeling hopeless, I've felt that way within the last few hours, <laughs> within the last few days. And I've learned as a pastor to trust God's sovereignty. I don't think God does these things to us. You read the book of Job, and it's Satan who does all these things to Job. But when God allows it, it's for our growth if we'll turn to him. And so I'm not worried. I'm totally at peace. But I want you, I just want to be vulnerable with you. I want you to kind of open my wounds and let you see my weakness and my, um, my own doubts and insecurity because I want you to be honest with yourself about where there's hopelessness in your life. And I just want to invite you to join me not only today, but this whole month of August in us together unveiling the broken parts of us, the things we don't understand to God, inviting him to give us hope where we feel hopeless. That's the question we're asking today. When you're facing a totally hopeless situation, what can you do? What can you do? I mean, apart from God, there's things you can do that feel good at first, like the road of self-pity. I've dabbled in that a little the last couple of weeks. I'm 41. This is the third random, weird, neurological brain thing that's happened to me since I've become a pastor and then I look at guys who are 41 and they're like drinking every night. They're verbally abusive to their spouse. They don't care about their kids. They never get sick. <laughs> so I could go way down the road of self-pity left to myself. And so can you, right? When you've got difficulty, you can go down the road of self-pity. You can go down the road of some other self-coping. You're either going to buy a little more, drink a little more, numb out a little more, talk a little more, some other coping, and so many of those things, while they feel good at first, they lead us down a road that ends in a very bitter person or a very addicted person. I want to show you a better way forward from God's word. I want to give you something you can take today for your hopeless situation. Here's what God says to us in Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Now, this Hebrew word for cry, it's kind of a savage word. It's a guttural word. It's a loud word. It means a ringing cry, as if you were to yell for help with so much volume and passion that it echoes. And this is the words of David. Maybe you've heard of David and Goliath. David, the little boy who defeated the, shep, uh, who defeated the giant through the power of God and then became the king of God's people, the Israelites, and was known as a man after God's own heart. But uh, lest you think that if you love God and live for him, you'll never have trouble, most of the heroes in the Bible went through great trouble because Satan is the prince of this world and he exists to kill and steal and destroy. And I have no doubt that spiritual warfare is real in our lives. And in addition to spiritual and demonic warfare against us, which can be physical. You look at Job's life, he went through physical sickness that was sent by Satan. Paul the apostle had a thorn in the flesh. He describes it as a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. So th that is a real thing. Now it doesn't mean every time you get sick that there's a demon involved. We live in a world that's broken by sin. We're born into contamination because of sin. 
And so we have genetic predispositions and we have cancer and other things that will just happen, car accidents, wars, genocide, all of this that happened because of Satan in this broken world. But David, what he's going through right here when he cries out to God is a situation that seemed incredibly hopeless. You see, at this point, David was really at the peak of his career, his kingdom, massive palace, walled city of Jerusalem, uh, a whole empire that was prosperous and doing well. But uh, because of some sin in David's life, actually, years earlier, there were some consequences. One of those consequences is that his own son named Absalom, kind of his prized son, if you will. If you've ever seen Beauty and the Beast, Absalom was like Gaston. He was like strapping and handsome and should have been a great leader. Absalom raises up an army to overthrow. He wants to kill his dad, David. David could have, Jerusalem was a walled city, he could have stayed and fought his son to the death, and he probably would have won. He had a bigger army. But you can imagine being a parent, if your son is hunting you to kill you, you probably don't want to have that shootout. So David runs with his army out into the wilderness, and he flees. He kind of surrenders the city because he doesn't want bloodshed. And as he gets out there in the wilderness, he's realizing uh, my family, everything I dreamed for my family is gone. Everything I dreamed for my career is gone. My entire legacy is gone. Everything he had was gone. And we're going to look today at Psalms that he wrote during that time. And it's in that time that he says, from the end of the earth, I'm out in the wilderness. You could almost translate end of the earth, the end of the world. God, I feel like it's the end of the world. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, sometimes you go through small suffering. Other times you just feel like it's the end of the world. From the end of my world, I call to you, God. When my heart is faint, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I'm at the end of my rope. And then I love this. He says, God, lead me to the rock. He's not referring to Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I know some of you were thinking that because that's what I thought. (laughs) The rock is the idea of a fighting fortress refuge in the wilderness. It's probably where Dwayne the Rock Johnson actually got his name from was that idea. Here's what's so significant about this prayer. It's poetic. It's beautiful. There's a lesson for us in it. What David needs right now is a rock fortress that he can hide out in. And he says, God... I'm looking to you to be that for me. Will you lead me to experience you as my hiding fortress? And God, when I look inside myself, there's nothing that I can find hope in. So lead me to a hope that is higher than me. Earlier, I said very simply, there's hope for you. And here's why. There's hope for you because there is a rock who is higher than you. And he invites you to run to him. He invites you to call out to him. He invites you to cry out as David did. You know, for each of us online in this room, there's thousands of us, and we each have at least one hopeless looking situation. And I think a common theme in all of our hopeless situations is some kind of scarcity, some kind of lack, something that we don't have. Where I would feel hopeless in my human state is I don't have health. I avoid processed sugar, I eat organic stuff, I exercise, I sleep seven hours a night. I've done everything I can to control my health and it's still out of my control. It's something I lack. Maybe you lack peace. Maybe you lack healing from wounds from your own spouse or from your own parents. Maybe you lack financial resources or maybe you lack a confidence that you'll ever have enough. Here's a little exercise for you. Fill in this blank of what you lack. Be bold. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to tell anyone. You don't have to write it down. 
But your hopelessness is because you lack what? Now, here's the next step. This is exactly what David did, and he's leading us spiritually. You pray to God, and you can do this right now. Now, God, lead me to you as my health outside of myself. Or for me, when I go through these neurological things, if I'm totally vulnerable with you guys, my fear isn't usually that I'll suffer, though I really don't like that. It's more my wife, my kids, this church, the future, the implications. What if it's something worse? What if all the what ifs? So God, lead me to you as my assurance that the future is provided for. Lead me to you for whatever it is in your life right now that that is gnawing at you. Earlier, we asked the question, what can you do when your life becomes hopeless Here's the answer. When you're at the end of your rope, cry out to the rock who is higher than you. Now, David gives us a great example because he cried out passionately to God. Most of us, if we're honest, we don't really cry out very passionately to God. I'm gonna give you a challenge today. If you're going through something difficult, sometime this week, sometime today, drive your car somewhere, park, windows up ideally, and talk to God out loud passionately. Tell him how you feel. Take your Bible so you can see his truths about it. We're going to see, even though David's going through a hopeless situation, at the end of David's life, here we are 3,000 years later, is he known as, oh yeah, David, the man whose son Absalom tried to overthrow the kingdom and almost killed him. That's not what he's known for. He's known as the the shepherd boy who defeated a giant, David and Goliath, and he's known as the man after God's own heart. He's known as the author of scripture. That hopeless situation didn't define him in the end. But the reason for that is that he cried out to God passionately. And he cried out to God consistently. Because that psalm that we read earlier is one of uh, about 10 that he wrote during this one crisis of his life. And it is a written record 3,000 years later that this was a man who cried out to God in his difficulty. Is there any kind of proof if an objective observer looked at your life that you're a person who cries out to God passionately or consistently? If there's not, then you're probably missing out on the benefits of experiencing him as the rock who's higher than you. Here's another Psalm David wrote during this time. He said, for God alone, my soul waits. Isn't waiting the worst? I had to schedule my my brain MRIs for this go around of the neurological stuff. I scheduled them for August 15th because I wanted to preach these two weeks. And when I do MRIs, I have to drink this. A lot of you guys know, you have to drink this iodine solution that makes it contrast. That can set off really crazy migraines for me. So I'm like, I can't do that MRI until I've got to preach these two weekends. So I'm waiting for the MRI. And then I'll have to wait for the results. And you guys all know how that feels to wait on something. You're waiting on an estranged child to finally call you or acknowledge you. You're waiting on your spouse to finally want to work on the marriage. Waiting is terrible. And that's what David was doing. He's out in the wilderness with his army. He's just kind of waiting. Like he's not going to go slaughter his son. He's crying out to God day after day after day, but nothing's changing. And so here's another one. God from you alone can come my salvation. I'm just going to wait for you. But I'm I'm not putting my hope in my army. I'm not putting my hope in my circumstances. I'm putting my hope in you. Verse 2, he alone is my rock. When's the last time have you ever, and if you haven't, I'm not shaming you, okay? Have you ever called out to God in a way that says, you alone are the thing that could get me through this. God, I'm not going to try everything I know and call everyone who will listen to me and do everything I can and then maybe pray a little weak prayer at the end. I'm going to flip that around. And I'm going to put all my energy into God unless you get me through this. I'm not, I won't make it without you. And I'm going to put the 99% of my energy into calling out to you. Now here's what's cool. The last Psalm 61, this is 62, 
He says, God, would you lead me to experience you as a fortress that's higher than me? Now, here we are. It's probably a few days later. He says, God, you are my rock. You are my fortress. I asked you to be the fortress hiding place that I need. And God, as I'm praying to you and worshiping you, I'm starting to experience that. And he says, I'm experiencing God's uh, fortress power so much that I will not be greatly shaken. In other words, my life is shaking. It's like an earthquake of circumstances. And it's such a disruptive earthquake that it's going to move me a little but it's not going to knock me over. I won't be too greatly shaken, God, because you're my fortress. Does that make sense? I want to show you something I noticed this, this week in just a moment. Verse 3, David says this, and I'm guessing you can relate to something here. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? So in David's case, he, just, he was attacked by people. What do you feel attacked by? Cancer? An ex-spouse? Anxiety? PTSD? Creditors? David's at this place where I'm guessing you can relate. He's like, there's just this force that's against me that wants to topple me. And you feel like a tottering fence, bending under the weight of it all, barely still standing. Translation, this situation could end me if the weight keeps coming on the fence. I'm just going to knock over. I wonder what's the parallel in your situation. Now, here's what I wanted to show you. Verse two, we looked at. Here's verse six. If you're a, a, an all-A student or a sharp student, you'll probably notice they're the same verse with the exception of one word. I highlighted it for you to save time. Just one word of difference, but it's a world of difference. Because in verse two, David said, God, you are my fortress. So even though my whole life is shaking, I'll be moved. I'll be shaken a little, but not greatly. And then he worships God, and he worships God, and he worships God, and he gets to verse six, four verses later, and his faith has grown because now he says exact same thing except I will not be shaken at all. Monday of this week, I um, was sitting studying for this message and my eyes just filled up with tears because I had already, thank, thank God, we've got an amazing executive team here, amazing staff. They can run everything without me. I canceled all my meetings and said, guys, I've just, all, I think all I can do this week is preach. And then I'm sitting there studying. Preaching's like my, that's like my easy thing for me, right? It's just, Mel always says, John, when I'm nervous, she says, John, we could wake you up in the middle of the night and you'd preach fine. And, and I'm sitting there trying to study and trying to get my eyes to focus. And I just started crying because it's like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do the basic entry-level thing that is required for my job. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able. And, and I, you can make fun of me if you're tough or whatever. I'm a sissy, Fine. But I, you know, I started to go down the path of self-pity and kind of this melancholy soundtrack. Whoa, it's me. Why is this happening again? And then like David, I just started reading the word of God. I took the same life application study Bible that we give you. If you don't have one, we'll give you one at Connection Corner. And in the back, I just looked up the word hope. And I just started reading every verse about hope. The very first one listed was Job when Job loses everything and he says, God, I don't believe you're doing this to me, but even if you were, I would still place my hope in you. And then I read all these Psalms of hope from David. And slowly this little spark of faith started to emerge in my soul. And then I turned on some worship music. And then I made myself sing along to it, even though I didn't want to. 
And then I found a sermon about hope. And all that kindling started to take that little spark of hope and faith, and it started to fan into flame. And then I texted some of my closest friends and said, I just need you to pray for me, that the Spirit of God would give me a hope that's higher than myself. And after about two hours of just seeking God like that, my soundtrack of my life completely changed from woe is me melancholy to my favorite old rock and roll song, which Johnny Cash has the best remix of. And it says, you can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. And it's like, you know what, God, I know this isn't from you. Yeah, sure. Let's, <laughs> let's make that our rally cry. To God, it, it doesn't matter if I can't stand up. It doesn't matter what. You're going to win, and you'll give me the strength I need to do to do my part. And just like Job, I know it's not from you. And if it's from the enemy, I'm not going to let this shake my faith. I'm not going to let it slow us down as a church. Uh, you wouldn't let it happen if it would slow us down. So I'm just going to lean into you. And I'm telling you guys, within about two hours, I went from saying, well, God's my fortress, so this won't shake me that much, to he alone is my salvation. I will not be shaken at all, right? Not because of me, but because of the promises of God. And this is, this is the same for you. It's available to you when you're hopeless. Cry out to the rock who is higher than you. I've got a very quick game for us. Starts with this image of this computer mouse. Now, I want to ask you, I'm going to show you another item here, and this is a quiz. You can answer out loud. What do these two items have in common? So you saw the computer mouse, now you see the bicycle tire. What do these two items have in common? There might be more than one correct answer. Don't worry if you get it wrong. Here's what I thought. They're both made in China. <laughs> Less profound, I had another thought. Both of these items are pointless without the greater thing to which they belong. If the bicycle wheel is not connected to the bike, it has very little purpose, very little function, very little effectiveness. If the computer mouse is not connected to the computer, it has very little purpose, very little function. Their value doesn't change, but their effectiveness, their fulfillment sure does. If you're not connected to your creator, you will have very little purpose, function, or effectiveness, very little sense of fulfillment in your life. And when trouble comes, you'll just feel lost at sea. Amen. But if, if you'll plug into your creator, say, I was created to be integrated with you, almighty God. The rhythms of the universe are the rhythms of my soul. This is who I am meant to be. I'm your adopted son or daughter through my faith in Jesus. Now you've got purpose in your suffering. You've got function. You've got effectiveness. And you're still valuable to God when you're separated from him, but you're not going to feel it. You're not going to feel it. And here's what I've learned. I, I hate suffering. I don't want it for you. I don't want it for me. But I have learned this, and this is probably my fifth go-around at this level. Every time I suffer, if I'll turn to God, it creates a deeper connection between me and him. And all the times I've been through things like this previously in my life, I look back on them and I say, truly, as much as I hated going through them, I wouldn't change that I had to because they, they created in me what what Peter writes about in the New Testament, he says these trials are refining your inner person, your faith. It's like gold being tested by fire. And the dross, the dirt, the contamination, all that stuff is getting burned off in the trials. And if you'll keep turning to God, he's refining you. Someone's here today, I have to believe, you've never been in a church like this before or it's been a long time and if you're honest, it has been years or never in your life that you've ever cried out to God in a surrender voice that says, be my salvation. And I'm telling you, for all the difficulty you're going through right now, if you will do that today, it will change your life. It will change your eternity. I know there's someone else here today that you're a lot like David 
who had seen God topple giants and destroy kingdoms and and do miracles. You've seen God do miracles, but right now in your life, because of the diagnosis or the the change in circumstances, you you don't feel like that. You never imagined you'd be where you are right now. And I'm telling you, join me this month of August. Let's just make it our war cry as a movement that all of us say, wherever there's hopelessness, we are for a month. We're gonna call out to God to be the rock that is higher than us. We're gonna cry out passionately and consistently. Let me wrap all this up with a few takeaways for you. Here's a very practical one. When you face a truly hopeless situation, you have two choices. You're either gonna drift into a downward trajectory of some kind of self-coping, self-pity, drinking, buying, approval of others, likes on social media, something, and that ultimately leads you to be a bitter person or an addicted person or an insecure person, or this better path, which is a choice of the will, and I'm not saying it's an easy choice, but you choose an upward trajectory to the rock who is higher than you. Psalm 25, David wrote in this season, he said, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Sounds religious, but it's it's not. It, It is this idea of God, I'm not just lifting my voice to you. I'm not just lifting my complaints to you. I'm not just lifting my feelings to you. Here is the most vulnerable little inner child of me, my soul, the inner person, and God, I'm like a kid with a broken toy coming to a parent saying, can you fix this? I lift my soul to you. I wonder just between you and God, where's your soul wounded? Where's your soul in pain? I wonder, have you ever really truly lifted your soul to him? All of it, the tumors of your soul, the wounds of your soul, the infections, the festering hopelessness. I mean, a lot of days when I lift my soul to God, I'm like, this is like an ugly, sick baby with boils all over. I mean, this is, this is me. It's gross inside. And if we'll lift our souls to him, will experience his healing. Let me give you four ways to do that. It's mostly a review of what we've already learned, but I just want to make this practical for you. First, you've got to open your wounds to God. Imagine you've got some kind of festering wound and you get to the doctor's office and they're like, okay, you know, take your shirt off. Let's take a look at it. And you're like, no, no. And the doctor's like, well, I've got tools, medications, surgeries. We could help you, but I'm going to have to see the wound you got to open your wounds to God if you want him to heal them. He's eager to heal them. Some of us are carrying wounds that we have falsely believed, lies of the enemy, that God could never heal that. You've fallen for the lie that God could never heal what your spouse did to you. God could never heal what you went through. Well, you're not going to find out unless you open it to him, but I'm telling you, and I don't, I'm not making light of what you've been through. But he's a God who can heal anything if you'll open it to him. Secondly, seek God's help obsessively. Obsessive people get a tough rap. I'm an obsessive person. I think we're supposed to be obsessive. We're created to be worshipers. Our problem is we magnetize to obsess on really shallow, superficial things. Possessions, looks, likes. Not bad things, but... Most of us are obsessive about something. You either know every Taylor Swift song or you know a whole bunch of sports statistics or you know a whole bunch of stuff about the stock market and CDs and bonds, stocks and bonds. Literally, they're named after shackles, right? Or, or you're obsessed uh, like me about cars. You know like every Porsche ever made and pretty much every German and Japanese car, most of the American ones as well, right? obsessiveness is part of how we're made in the image of God, but the real bent is we're created to be obsessed with our creator in a healthy way, be plugged into him for life. And I just wonder how your life might change if you would start just for one month here in August to seek God obsessively. 
as much as your greatest hobby or interest, hopefully more, seek him obsessively. See what happens. Third, look to God to be what you lack. We've covered that. Let me give you a couple handles here today. If you don't yet have a life application study Bible, we'll give you one today out in our lobby, or you can text the word Bible if you're online. Uh, There's a book I wrote when I was going through a different neurological crisis <laughs> called a hemiplegic episode, which is like stroke symptoms. And I wrote a book at that, during that time, and I'd love to give it to you for free if you're suffering. You can go to cp.news. The audio book is there, uh, and you can just listen to it within seconds, totally free. Don't need your email or anything. Just listen to it. Give it to anyone who's hurting. Another way to start to experience God's help is getting prayed over. So we're going to sing in a moment. And during our worship, you can come up. Or at the end of the service, if you're more comfortable, we'll have prayer partners at the front. And then the fourth step officially from this outline is to activate your voice and your hands. David writes in these Psalms, God, I lift my hands to you. That did not start with weird churches. That started 3,000 years ago. David says, God, I lift my hands. And when when I lift my hands in worship, which isn't all the time, it's not a rote thing, it's spirit-led, but when I do, I'm very often lifting my soul, lifting my festering wounds. And there is a, a power in kind of positively brainwashing yourself. Brainwashing's okay if you do it to yourself, okay? That you just, you recite God's promises and you sing them and you say them and you declare them and you write them up and you put them on your bathroom mirror and you put one on the dashboard of your car until that promise starts to change your feelings. You just keep saying it. And David models for us singing it. These Psalms, the word Psalm is song. These Psalms we've been studying are songs. So that's why we're gonna worship together in just a moment. But as we close, I just wanna tell you about a father whose son, he lost his son. A father who lost a son, and and this father, his plan, his dream, was just to raise this boy and be in great relationship with him. My son Jack is 13 now. We went on a walk last night, got to walk around the block, which was a great, and... um, He's almost as tall as I am, and we just talked. That's what this father had in mind, just a father-son relationship, but his son was lost, kidnapped. Uh, This father is the creator of the universe, and he starts his explanation to you, the Bible, the love letter, big book, but the first three chapters are him very simply explaining to you that he desires to be in a walk, a walking relationship with you, a friendship with you. And he describes in Genesis 1 through 3 that there's a villain in all of our stories, a fallen angel by the name of Lucifer who sneaked in to where God's first two kids were, a boy and a girl. He lies to them. He lures them to believe that God isn't what they need. They choose to turn away from God. And in that moment, an atom-splitting chain reaction gets set off through planet Earth. Cancer becomes a thing. Murder becomes a thing. Genocide and famine and sickness become a thing. And God so loved the world that when he saw you born into a world that really, guys, if we're honest, it's defined by hopelessness. We like to think, oh, cancer will never hit me. Car accident will never hit me. We kind of skip through life with this blissful ignorance, but then the normal stuff happens to us and it feels like the world's ending, but it's actually the normal stuff. This is a terrible world in that sense. We all die. Our relationships are all broken. And the God who made you loved you so much that he said, I will go down into that world and I will cry her tears. I will feel his hunger for relationship and connection. I will feel her physical pain. I'll take that upon myself to to redeem and buy back so that all who believe can be made right with me. And that is exactly who Jesus is and why he came to this world and why we as a church are all about him. And it's what Jesus had in mind 
when he said these words to you, Jesus says to you today, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened. Jesus says to you, I will give you rest. He continues in, I love these words. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, learn my way of life. Even in this broken world, I'll show you how to live. Learn from me. Learn in your pain how to call out to God. Learn in your suffering how to call out to the Father and experience him. And I love this. Jesus says, if you're willing, I'm a gentle teacher, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. If you'd stand, I'd love to pray that over you today. Father, in this place and for those online, would you open the eyes of our hearts to perceive your great love for us? Lord, I want to pray right now for that person who's never called out to you to be their Savior in a defining way that right now from the heart they would just say, Jesus, help. Jesus, help. I pray for the believer with deep faith who's been through trials, but right now what they're going through, just it's unthinkable and it feels hopeless. God, as we worship right now in this moment, would you ignite our hope? Breathe hope into us. Strengthen our faith. May we be like Job, people who never turn away from you in our suffering. May we be like David, people who cry out to you when it feels like the end of the world. May we be like Jesus, sons and daughters, who are not only loyal to you in our suffering, but who serve you through our suffering on the path to greatness. Restore our hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.